Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology. And it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Lehman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us is echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever this episode may find you. This is Doth Protest Too Much, a Protestant historical theology podcast. Today we are here, Stephen and me, James, are here. Unfortunately, Drew is not able to be here today as he had something come up at the last minute. We will miss him, but hope to have a great episode today because we are talking to a marvelous, brilliant Lutheran scholar by the name of Mark Mattis. Mark Mattis is professor of philosophy and theology at Grandview College in Des Moines, Iowa. He has served congregations as a pastor in Illinois and Wisconsin. He holds a PhD from the University of Chicago, an MDiv, Master of Divinity from Luther Seminary, and a Bachelor of Arts from St. Olaf College. Dr. Mattis is a scholar on the life and thought of Martin Luther. He has authored many books and journals, journal articles on Martin Luther and Lutheranism. Some of the titles of those works include Martin Luther's Theology of Beauty, A Reappraisal, and Law and Gospel in Action, Foundations, Ethics, and Church. Dr. Mattis notably engages recent and contemporary Luther scholarship, like the work of the late Gerhard Ferdy, whom we will be spending some time on today, as well as a major translator of the work of German Lutheran theologian Oswald Bayer. We're going to spend some time today getting to know Dr. Mattis, or Mark, as he likes us to call him, what led him to his interests in Luther and in theology, some of his influences, insights to take away from Luther scholarship and theologians like Ferdy and Beyer, and some of Mattis's own work. So, Mark, we really appreciate you being on here. And as a recent guest, Justin Holcomb put it, this podcast has a certain dialect to it, or we like our listeners to take away the central place that grace has in Christianity. 
the love of God that is promised to all people in and through Christ Jesus, how utterly immeasurable his grace and love are. This message was also what people like Martin Luther saw as the heart of the gospel, actually the gospel itself. This message of grace is also what we believe is needed in our own time, and perhaps especially in our time, but we believe that this message of grace unfortunately gets lost in our world and not just in our world, but so in so much of religion itself. So here's a thought experiment. The other day, Drew was looking up the word grace online in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and it defined grace as elegance or refinement or courteous goodwill. Why is it different, or at least, as it strikes me, could not be more different from an understanding of grace that a follower of Jesus would have? What is grace through Christ or grace via Christ as opposed to a grace that is elegance, refinement, or goodwill? Yeah, that's, that's really a, a, a good question, and it, it'd be interesting to look at the history of, of how that word has evolved. In the English language, I if you look at other languages like German, you know the, the word is you know Gnade. Um, you know I, I have no idea in German if 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 there's that connotation to the word that that's, that's developed. But um, in the Protestant Reformation, grace is first of all God's favor, and that for Jesus' sake, God God loves the sinner. So it 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 it. Again, there's a, a distinction between uh, the person who God loves and the works. So our works, whether in thought, word, or deed, is, is always fall short of the glory of God. Right. But God, right. for Jesus's sake, and I emphasize for Jesus's sake, because, be, because Jesus, in his death upon the cross, he takes on all of our yuck, and he gives us all of his, all of his beauty. Um, and that's how God, God looks at us. It, it's, first of all, um, grace is first of all favor, God's favor towards undeserving sinners who have who have who have no playing cards that, that they could possibly use to, to, to get this. Um, but it's also um, donum or gift. That is that the God sends the Holy Spirit um, to live within us, and and over time and in His way, not our way, in His way. Um, rearranges the chair, the chairs of our inner life, um, and and remakes us in His time and in His way. So even our own renovation, our own renewal, our own um, on a daily basis of how we are new creatures—that is something that God is ultimately behind. The reason I'm emphasizing that is is I'm simply pushing. We don't have to be uptight about our Christian walk. It too right. is in God's hands. Right. Um, so, but but that's the, to my knowledge, that's 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 the standard um, sort of way is, is God's favor and also God's gift. But I say favor first because right. the focus is is on it, it's it's exterior to us. It is uh, is in the fancy language. It's alien. That does not like an alien from outer space, but right. meaning from the Latin, it's something external to us. Mm -hmm. um, but this word, which comes from outside of us. Um, you know, when, when, when the, the, the pastor or priest says, thy sins are forgiven thee, your sins are forgiven for Jesus's sake. That word actually is, is 
from outside of us coming into our ear takes its root over time in the heart and lends itself to, to a new life, a new walk. Not perfection, not right. perfection in this life. But, but it, and I emphasize that that gift is such, it, again, it's, it's, not, it's not that a Christian ever has to think that they're striving for a sinless perfection as if they're the puppet master of their own feelings. Feelings, we know, you, you can't be controlled. But, but God does work inside of us to bring renewal. Right. That, that's, a, that's a really interesting uh, line of thought. I, so I grew up uh, in a, a Pentecostal uh, charismatic church, uh, which comes out of the holiness movement, which, of course, there's a lot of uh, correct your behavior type yeah. language and emphasis in that yeah. movement. Um, so the question that I have, I mean, what well, a question that I have, uh, I've asked it before, and I, I just, I, you know, is that something I'm thinking through for myself when it comes to thinking about grace um, in light of my background? Um, but that is how this seems to work well for kind of everyday sins. Things like, you know, maybe you're a little dishonest. Maybe you've, uh, you've you know, uh, let someone down, something like that. Does it work? And how do we think about grievous like sins, things um, that we would look at, uh, you know, murder, uh, rape, things like that, that, that um, people, you know, you don't, you don't at that point say, well, you know, God's working on me, you know, I'll, so I, I'm, I'm down to two murders a week, right? So how do we think about that uh, as with these more intense and less kind of everyday sins? I, first of all, the Pentecostal thing, I, I fully understand from I, the pastor that confirmed me, um, uh, in Seattle, where I grew up, became very good friends with uh, Father Bennett in Ballard uh, at St. I forget the, the Episcopal Church. I should know it. I've been there. Uh, Dennis Bennett was, was very active in the 1970s in the um, Episcopal charismatic movement and, and in mainline in mainline charismaticism. And as as a as a older teenager, I I spoke in tongues and was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I would go to prayer meetings and healing meetings. And mm -hmm. believe me, I understand this from the inside out. I I thoroughly understand it. And um, I'm not anti-charismatic, so please don't 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 hear that in me. But what I am is that side when you bring up this kind of constant monitoring of the inner life. That, you know, and am I, am I actually really striving in my holiness? Am I actually making progress in my holiness is something I get. And it, it, it can, it did a number on me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't bring about the joy of the Lord is my strength. Mm -hmm. it, it does the opposite. Oh my gosh, this, this is, this is really a, um, a, a, a huge burden. There is no joy in this. Um, I mean, you could speak in tongues and, and, um, and maybe get some kind of high through that, if you will. But it it just the the drudgery of a constant monitoring of of the inner life is is just not the route to go. And that's why I push. It really is in Jesus's hands. It really is. I don't think we should be monitoring our 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 inner life as as Christians. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the other, I would again. I'm I'm kind of old school. The the um, in my background, and I think it might be in the Book of Common Prayer as well. I mean, I, um, I but I'm not absolutely certain about about this. But I was once asked this 
um, I was speaking at the um, at the theological conference of the North American Lutheran Church, and I was asked some very similar question. And for for people who are who are smug in their sense, smug in their sense. I mean, look how many murders I got got away with this for this month. I mean, as 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 um, um, and if it's not that, look how many times I, I beat my spouse. I mean, right. if there, there's any or beat my kids or um, got away with any number. How much I stole from my company. Right. Um, you know, the answer is really uh, thy sins are not forgiven thee, mm -hmm. and you stand you stand accountable to God and in God's wrath, mm -hmm. God's punishment. If not now, then in eternity. You you mm -hmm. stand accountable to God. It. God, it, it isn't to, to push God's grace. It, what makes God's grace so precious is, again, not so much because of our inner life, but because we, we are held accountable to God. He will come to judge the quick and the dead. Mm -hmm. And we are held accountable to, 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 to that judgment. God is, God, God is a righteous and pure God. It, 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 the gospel does not undermine or trivialize or... Uh, the truth that, 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 that uh, of who God is, and um, and in this life, I, I would say this renovation that we go through on a daily basis is it is that God is purifying our hearts over time and in His way. Mm -hmm. um, God is pure in His way, not not again that it's our game plan. I mean, right. for, for what it's worth, that's my response. I think it's very much a prophetic word, you know, as the prophets of ancient Israel. Or, or you think of the couple um, um, uh, in Acts 4 that withheld their property and dropped dead in front of Peter when, when he exposed it it it, 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 it's very serious. Right. As I, as I read the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira. Right. Right. Yeah. Five, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I, I'm in my line of work. I don't talk about them very often. So I, right. I had to think. <laughs> about them, you know. So you're emphasizing like the attitude of the person in relationship to God and to their sins. Is that right? Like I just. It's very much fun? for those that that operate with with this distinction between law and gospel. Mm -hmm. That that's law. It accuses gospel. Um, uh comforts right. and and you know for episcopalians where you really hear it so powerfully in 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 the prayer book is what's called the you know the, the comforting words before you go to the lord's the lord's supper mm -hmm. and they're just so powerful that that um so very very powerful and, and cranmer is is you know has the gospel down cold um but i think in the episcopal tradition where you would regularly review the Ten Commandments, which I think is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. And in my own background, that that was done at least during Lent, um, where where you know a reviewing of the Ten Commandments that that you know you are accountable to God. And so uh, part of it, if a pastor wonders what is, what is the job all about, it's about uh, it's a process of discernment you know, who needs comfort, but also who needs a kick in the rear. Right. Um, so I'm not saying that everything is reducible to law and gospel, but I do think it's a very important aspect of, of what a pastor does. Right. Well, it's important to remember, too, that when you're dealing with um, 
secure sinners. Mm -hmm. They need to have the law preached to them. Because mm -hmm. if you have arrived at a place of security in your sinfulness, then you need to be reminded of the fiery holiness of God and of the fact that you are dead in your sins and trespasses, but are only made alive by Jesus Christ and for his sake. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, the, the age old question that people get into especially youth groups. I don't know why youth groups tend to get into this question more than others, but, but the question is, could, Luke, could, could, um, could Hitler be in heaven? Right. Um, this, this uh, thought project and process. Well, the snarky answer is yes, he could be, but, uh, but ultimately what you have to remember is that, um, that Hitler was, uh, he may have uh, been, a, a Christian at some point in his life, perhaps, but Hitler was by all uh, by all means and and by every um, every measurable metric um, not a follower of Jesus, um, and uh, he was secure in his sinfulness. Um, yeah. So does that does that make sense? Yeah. And what I don't think to talk about grace is again i don't think it's the same as what for mainline protestants that just becomes a kind of gospel of acceptance mm -hmm. i don't think and that's i think the acceptance mode because they refuse to look at god as as the one to whom we are ultimately accountable in thought word indeed that is ruled out because god can only be love 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 and, and there's no sense of judgment right it, it god is judgment not because god's having a bad hair day but, but, but because ultimately we're, we, we're accountable to God and, and, and we're accountable to our neighbor. And, and when we violate the, the first table of the law and violate the second table of the law, it, it just, we're not according, we're not in accord with our nature as God has designed us to be, which is to honor and love love God for his own sake and to love our neighbors for their sakes. Right. And so I don't think that the mainline Protestant um, kind of thing, I just want to put that out there because I don't think the gospel should be, should be, you know, in the mainline Protestantism, there just tends to be this kind of a, a, a squishy acceptance with, with the law of a social justice, right. Um, that you better be out there um, um, with, with, um, altering systemic uh, structures, um, you know, um, as a result of this acceptance. Right. And, and either side, I find questionable in, in multiple ways. Well, that, that just mirrors the culture today. Yeah. Right? That's, it does uh, mirror. It, it's it's exactly. a secular gospel. Right. It's a secular gospel. And mainline Protestantism simply mirrors what, what the therapeutic and educational community does. Right. And maybe a good portion at this point of the business community. Right. Well, and, and one thing that that um, I think is particularly appropriate to talk about in in this conversation to sort of bridge what we're talking about now to your interest in Luther, perhaps, is that there is this soteriological angst within American evangelicalism that like you're constantly worried about whether or not you have been saved, right? And uh, you're constantly 
having it brought before you that, oh, you did this thing, you committed this sin. Uh, and so really, are you actually saved? Um, and it seems to me that in Luther's life, Luther, especially when he would go into his five hour long confession sessions, right, confessing every peccadillo, um, my, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotations from um, Fulton J. Sheen is that he said, hearing nuns confessions is like being pelted to death with popcorn. <laughs> Uh, I have to, I have to imagine that, that Luther, um, Luther confessing to, was it Bugenhagen? Yeah. Yeah. Luther confessing. Stelpitz, Stelpitz choir. Yeah. Yeah. Stelpitz choir, mostly Stelpitz for, for that, that sort of thing. Right. And Stelpitz was the one who said, why don't you actually go out and commit an actual sin today? Right. (laughs) Yes. So, so. This this idea that has kind of made a resurgence within Protestantism today. We were talking in the pre-show conversation about old Protestantism and new Protestantism. Would that, in some way, shape, or form, play into your interest in in Martin Luther? Uh, have you have you done any writing about this? Have you have you thought out sort of how you might address that? I, I tell you, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a part of it is due to a tension point, I think, between um, Lutheran theology and Reformed theology. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're in the Reformed theology is, 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 it's much closer to, to Augustinian theology. Mm-hmm. So there, if there isn't with Luther, there, there's, there's um, to use the Latin, that Augustine would would use between uh, the signum and the rest, the sign and the reality. So in the sacrament, you have these earthly elements joined along with with a word. For Luther, there's a strong sense of the word is efficacious. The word does something. That is not Augustine. Right. Words describe things, words direct things, but there isn't this sense of words doing things. I mean, a simple explanation, if the justice of the, of the, the peace or the minister says, I now pronounce you man and wife, it's you're pronounced man and wife. Or if, if somebody says, I forgive you, the, the actual word is, is doing. In the forgiveness, it's restoring a relationship. In, in a marriage, it's creating a, a legal contract, quite frankly, amongst other things. Um, it, 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 in the reformed way of thinking, and in my, I must say, unfortunately, it, 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 it undermines. It doesn't mean you can't find um, 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 reformed people who don't think like that. Just uh, is it Edward Fisher, uh, the, the, uh, the marrow of modern theology. I don't know if you're aware of that book. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how, if he was Anglican, he might be more, I'm grabbing for it. Um, uh, he might be more, because he's bi-covenantal, a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. The Marrow of Modern Divinity by Edward Fisher. They created a lot of conflict in the Church of Scotland because he really pushes the distinction between law and gospel. And I think uh-huh. In the time period, 300 some years ago, 
he comes across libertine as opposed to, shall we say, legal legalistic, which is, I think, exactly what he would have found the Puritan movement in England and and um, and the, and for that matter, the Scots. So what am I trying to say? I I think the problem the problem here is some would say, well, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, I need to look for changes in my behavior. Right. And I think for Luther, this is going back to a more of a medieval perspective. How do I know I'm saved? Well, what did God just tell you? Uh, you know, I the the you you've heard, you've been forgiven for Jesus' sake. What did God just tell you? God's word is enough. Now, Luther will use language in Latin apprehendo, hold on to this. And the language is, 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 and he uses this even as illustration, somebody, somebody's drowning in the water, you, you throw whatever the 16th century equivalent of a life vest is, and they grab onto it. But it's like, what choice do you have? Right. What choice? I mean, this is, this, this is what you need. I fear in the Reformed heritage, there is this tendency, well, I got to make my calling and election sure, so I look at my own behavior, I look have I had purified thoughts today or mm -hmm. did, you know and it 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 the, the, the focus I think always needs to go back to God's promise and right. again to put it outside of of you mm -hmm. because when you put it in you it gets to be a trap well did I pray long enough did I pray this is some of the problems that I would have had as a young charismatic you know okay I spoke in tongues for 20 minutes maybe I should have done 30. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, you following me, it, it oh, yeah. burns enough, enough. And I, what I don't like about it is it tends to undermine that our, our creatureliness, that, that, you know, we're just, we're deeply flawed people. And, and even our striving for to be better often comes with flaws as well. Right. So, you know, in our striving to be better, we'll, we'll sometimes crush people in the process. Right. So it's, 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 um, I, 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 I don't know if that's a correct reading about some evangelicals, but I, I wish that they had more of a sense of an efficacious word mm -hmm. and they really don't, they really yeah. don't. And I, I go in like, but this is everywhere in the Bible, you know, don't tell me you're a Bible believer when, when, you know, this is like everywhere 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 in the bible yeah i mean i i got uh got saved every year at camp and i'm sure one of them stuck you know like um that's kind of my, my claim there um i guess like okay so where would luther uh how would luther use and employ christ's uh christ's words that you will know them by their fruit and those analogies of like the tree and the fruit um, is that only for leaders or is that, you know, can we look at other people and, and note their, uh, note their transformation externally, or is that entirely an internal thing? Well, his, his thing, which he, from early on, you know, good fruit comes from a good tree mm. and the good tree only happens because of this, of this word that comes outside of you. It, 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 he's more apt to push our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Mm -hmm. And so it, 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 I, I, I can tell you, I am a little bit more patient with students than I was 28 years ago. 
but some of that is probably just due to old age and slowing down. <laughs> and it's also somewhat due to being a dad. You know, I survived three teenagers and, and at least one of my kids really gave me a, the, the for the money kind of ride. Um, it, it, um, but I'm not there to pat myself on the back. I, I, if you want security, trust in God's word. If you want security, if you're anxious about, um, you know, how, how, how did, um, how did you put it with, um, um, uh, uh, yeah, if you could remind me of, 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 of tree. The, the tree and the fruit, like, is that something, I was asking, is that something that we are meant to, uh, to use to find out uh, who, you know, who, who is, uh, who is saved, who's a genuine Christian? Should we look in our own lives for fruit to show that we are a good tree? You know, it's, it's like, I, I would think how many of Lutheran would look at the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, that must be an expectation that Jesus wants us to do. So I better struggle hard to be pure in heart. Right. And once I'm regenerate, then I can look and evaluate how pure my heart is. Or is it more of a promise that blessed are the pure in heart? Oh, by the way, you are the pure in heart mm -hmm. because you're associated with me. Mm -hmm. right. And whatever in your heart is not yet pure, it, I will be working to purify it over the span of your life. And if we don't quite make it, there by the time you're at the end, I guarantee you in eternal life, it will be pure. Right. Do we look at the Beatitudes as, as expectations? You darn took better do these. Right. Or, or are they more promises? I, I think with, with, you know, you, you know, you, you will have fruit. I, 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 I look at it more as a promise. If I don't always see it in my colleagues um, or my children or my wife, well, let alone myself, part of, part of that's what faith is, is, is Jesus is true to his word. Right. It often, we often see these kinds of things when we're less looking for them. Mm -hmm. right. We often see them when we're less looking for them. And, and then they kind of shout at us, wow, wow. And, and we often see people in a new light that we hadn't seen before. Right. Well, and, and something that's important to remember with that too is um, a, a good friend of mine has taken some classes with someone whom you know well, Jim Nestigan. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, uh, if I remember correctly, this friend of mine said that Jim Nestigan was known for saying, we, you're not to be a fruit inspector. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it's not our place or our responsibility to inspect the fruit of others. Right. Um, it's not our place and our responsibility to look to that as if that is a confirmation of someone's election yeah. because I'm a miserable sinner and I've been a Christian my entire life. And there are days yeah. where I feel like I'm not getting better. And there yeah. are days where I feel like I am. Yeah. It's a matter of God's own divine prerogative and, and God's, um, God's work in me. And, and much of that is, is a matter of God's hidden counsels to, to quote, uh, Calvin a bit. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So this I, I, I think the calling and election, sure. I, I remember reading a tract from the, the coal portage at, at Lutheran Pietism. And again, it's just that you better you better start accumulating all this stuff. Right. 
Um, you know, we're, we're, our call, our, the, the, the guarantee of our calling and election is in ultimately God's call and mm. God's election. And that has happened be because of God's preached word that that has, that has captivated me. Mm -hmm. Right. So we talked a fair amount about some of the ins and outs of Luther's theology. Could you tell us just because this is in part biographical, we want to know what brought you into your interest in Luther. What 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 really attracted you to Luther? Well, I, you know, I was raised um, in that background, but I was raised um, very, very much in pietism. And that does influence me even to this day. I don't think everything about it is bad. I think there's some things in it that, that are quite good. Um, but, um, and the charismatic movement, but I think it was of all things, I must have been about 19 years old and I got a hold of, there, in those days there used to be bookstores. I mean, books, you could actually browse for books. I have one in my neighborhood where I live, um, but um, I, I was at, I, at, at the Lutheran bookstore, I ran a hold of, of a book called The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. I'm reading it right now. Yeah, and I just, it, it blew me away. Now, I understand it. I was not Missouri Synod. My background was, was called the Old American Lutheran Church, um, and uh, which in many respects was very close to Missouri, um, but had different, you know, different, different background. And it, the book just blew me away. Mm -hmm. And once I read it, it just, it, it, I, I thought, wow, this is really helping me especially with these phobias that, that like Luther's scrupulosity, you know, where he would spend so much time and um, confessing and whatnot. It, 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 the book really literally saved me. Yeah. And so I, from there, I took a real interest in, in Luther yeah. over time. That's, that is marvelous. I, I have thoroughly been enjoying reading Walther and I, I must confess that, so I grew up as an evangelical Episcopalian, mm -hmm. so low, low, broad church um, mm -hmm. for a little inside Episcopal baseball here. But, um, and, and so um, not through any fault of my father's, who is a priest, um, but because of the ethos of evangelical Episcopalianism, there is this sense that, um, that we that we that you're sort of derive from that ethos that you are you are a miserable sinner and you can never really get clean you know so i do i i and again i must i must say because my father may listen to this podcast it was not on him it was certainly about some of the other influences in my life at the time um acquire the fire if you've ever heard of that that was one of them um Stephen has heard of it. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, I digress. But the point is, I resonate with Luther's scrupulosity. To, to use Luther's language, the law had entered my conscience. And so I became so, so unbelievably afraid. Like I went to sleep every night just about wondering if I was going to heaven. And it was, it's terrifying. So when Luther confessed for five hours on end, and I read that for the first time, I thought, man, I like this guy. He makes sense to me. Yeah. And so reading Walther and reading um, your work and reading 
other people who are of a Lutheran mind um, has been incredibly helpful for me personally because it's helped me to distinguish between law and gospel. And when the two were conflated, that's what Luther had so much trouble with because he heard the righteousness of God as a condemnatory statement that God is righteous and therefore his righteousness is accusatory to you rather than what he understood later in life about the happy exchange that God gives to us his righteousness in and through Jesus Christ and for his sake and God in the person of Jesus Christ takes upon himself the sins of the whole world and eradicates them from existence. There, there really must be a distinction between law and gospel. Um, sure. um, so, so again, I, I digress and I'll, I'll get off, I'll get off the pole. No, I, I really appreciate that a lot. And I, I don't, I don't want to pick on the reformed because uh, there's so much I love in the reformed tradition and um but 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 in those views of the of the reformed faith where um gospel as just forgiveness is insufficient right it's also transformation well you've heard from me i'm really into transformation i for me i call that effective justification but gospel proper is literally forgiveness right your i mean you know, I'm a, I think that's right. I am a miserable sinner. I'm condemned to hell. Mm -hmm. Okay. But for Jesus's sake, I am 100% forgiven and I have a claim to heaven in through, in and through him. I own heaven because of him. Right. And I think, I think, I think the law is bringing you to that point. I am a miserable sinner. It's not like I can, you know, perfect myself out of it. Right. That humbles me. But but I don't stay there only there because I am God's precious son. I, I am God's child. For, and 100% that. Mm -hmm. And if that word isn't heard cleanly and crisply and to the point without, oh, and you got to do some transformative things here. It, I think we fail people. Right. I'm, I'm not against the trans. I'm all for the transformation, but don't smudge the gospel that somehow that it, it gospel needs to be heard in its purity. Right. And, and I think so. One of the things that you said uh, for, for our listeners, I, I had the great pleasure of taking a class with uh, with Mark at Trinity School for Ministry on the theology of Martin Luther. And one of the things that came up in that class that might be a little bit of Lutheran inside baseball, if you will, is that um, there is this great debate, and this is going to be a segue into talking about Ferdy to a certain extent. Uh, there is this great debate within Lutheranism about whether or not Luther adhered to a third use of the law. And I, I really appreciated your answer about that that you had said was steeped in your background as both coming from pietism, but also having a great love for, for what Luther himself had to say. And you said that in my, in my words, not necessarily your words, you have a kind of soft third use of the law, which is a, you, you see paranesis as being part of things. So could you, could you perhaps address that a bit more, um, 
or, or address that for for our listeners. And uh, for me, define paradisus. Thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah, that might be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's you. Paranesis is you read Romans, um, read Ephesians. Um, once you get uh, once you get to chapter twelve, Paul does paranesis. Mm-hmm. Chapter twelve through fifteen is paranesis. That's very common in 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 Paul's letters. He does paranesis. Luther in the bondage of the will says point blank there is exhortation. Right. Um, and I I part of what a third use would be is is kicking the old Adam in the butt. Um, you know, old Adam, you don't you don't you don't have a say here. Right. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna come back and be controlling these things. I don't think third use is is again the kind of um, I use the law to prove my transformation. It is not that. Right. But the third use is 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 um, is um, telling the old Adam off, um, and and there it, there is appropriate exhortation and paranesis. I don't think it's it's the kind of thing that that says again. It, it's it it, it if it, when the gospel is in your life, you don't need to live like this you know, one-upmanship with others or even one-upmanship with yourself. A law right, like right. that is gone. It's gone. But, but there is, there is, there is catechesis. Mm-hmm. And with young people today that I work with, you can't assume that they understand anything about a Christian culture. And you need to be teaching the Ten Commandments to even right. to the regenerate because they might not know all these things. They might not, they, we, we, we just can't take things for granted. It, 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 that's if this were a Christendom, maybe you could, but this is not a Christendom anymore. Right. And so I don't. I, I think if you get if person gets caught up, well, I'm using that law to, to figure out how how well I'm sprinting, how far ahead of the pack I am, or how far I'm ahead this year running the race and what I was a year ago. Right. You've missed the point. That's just the old Adam back in action. Right. Um, but but there is, again, with with in uh, a, 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 a catechesis, we have law, we have the creed, we have the Lord's Prayer, we have the sacraments. There is a didactic element. Right. Luther himself says we need exhortation. He's right in the bondage of the will uh, where he's really pushing this distinction of law and gospel. So. Again, that's me. I have a more of a, a classical approach than, than maybe some of my colleagues, but it is more cl- it's more classical Protestant approach. Yeah. It also gives me a greater con- uh, continuity with Reformed and with classical Anglicanism. Right. And I have a deep love for Anglicans, so <laughs> just a deep love for Anglicans. I, wow. I certainly <laughs> desire to have uh, to foster a deep love within Anglicanism for Lutheranism. So this is, this is important, important, important stuff. Yeah. You know, the roots of the Royal family, they're from Saxony. Right. <laughs> I think of that with the queen who's so dear, such a dear, dear, dear human being. It, it's such right. a loss with her death. Right. Such a loss. Yes. But she would be of the mind uh, to remind everyone that her death is sowing the seed that uh, will rise imperishable, indestructible in the resurrection of the dead. So, yeah, um, 
that's yeah. that's a, an important part of the hope that um, that I think Luther is so particularly good at conveying mm-hmm. is that yeah. even you know the 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 funeral service in the Episcopal Church um, says at one point in the midst of life we are in death, which yeah. is beautiful. Oh, that's that's yeah, Luther. it's beautiful. But then it comes to the Eucharistic prayer, and there's the proper preface where you get the pure gospel, which is in death, life is changed, not ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's Luther. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I had a, an Episcopal student once that just made this assumption about those traditions that come out of of the north and east of Germany or Scandinavia, that somehow everything is all law and gospel. No, the, 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 those traditions, like, like the Church of England, it's, it's a big, expansive, the word the Lutherans use, it's a folk church. Right. That, that is just, it's filled with everything. And, and I think my, this dear Episcopal student was assuming that, oh, you know, like these Lutheran countries have had law and gospel all along. Well, that's just not true at all. Right. You know, that's why Walther was so surprising to me. Right. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Stephen. No, I was going to say, uh, on this law and gospel distinction, um, okay, is it is the problem that people uh, from the, you know, more holiness movement types um, to, uh, to some of the, the reform types, are they trying to have? Uh, are they trying to bring works into a discussion of salvation, and that shouldn't be? Is that the issue? My my sister and brother in law are adopting a teenager right now. Are what? And, yeah, and he's fourteen, um, and or just turned fifteen actually. We have the same name, uh, and we have the same birthday. Like it's mm-hmm. it's, it's wild, um, but he is in that in that phase that they warned my sister and brother in law about, which is. His adoption is going to be finalized in December, and there is this uh, acting out um, because he's convinced some part of him, or he's not convinced it's going to happen. He's convinced they're going to they're going to kick him to the curb, um, and then there's this uh, fear that he's going to do something to upset them and and cause that to happen. So um, once he is adopted, whatever he does, he's in the family, right? There's yep. no there's no losing that once adoption has taken place. Um, And so if he were to bring up after his adoption, um, he's, you know, he's done something wrong, he's in trouble, and he brings it up to them as a, uh, as a, oh my goodness, are you guys going to kick me out? Am I out? Am I still in the family? That would be, it's just a non-question. It's not even, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Is that, is that the distinction? Oh, I, I, I think it is. I think that's really helpful. I, I, when you'd asked about uh, James and I were talking uh, a little bit about this before the, the, the program started. And, and I think part of it is, is an historical question. It's just a disagreement about what is reformation. Right. And, beca- and which I think it, it's, it's I, Stephen, I like how you're approaching things, which, which is, you know, you know, what does this mean for me? But I think the wider concern so I, I, I think it's okay for me to bring up what I'm going to say right now, which is the, the, the major protesting after um, George Floyd's killing right. mm. 
So you had a tremendous amount of, pro of, of protesting all over the country, even all over the world. But a side of me saw this protesting and I saw it as just really akin to the peasants revolt of 1525. Mm -hmm. And of course, they, the peasants were, were massacred uh, in Germany, 80,000 of them, 50, 50 to 100,000 of them were massacred. Now, part of, part of this protesting is, um, is part of it is this is reformation um, in their mind. This, this mm -hmm. becomes, even though, even though the um, Mennonites are pacifist, uh, a pacifist group, the idea is true reformation of the church means there's no longer going to be lords and ladies and serfs. True reformation of the church means that we get where we are done with this stratification. That's mm -hmm. one approach to reformation. It means we're all going to be pacifists, even if the peasants obviously weren't. But we should all be pacifists because no Christian should raise arms against his brother. Um, one re that's one approach, one approach to reformation. It, it, Another approach that you get, I think, from those that those 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 parts of the church deeply Protestant church deeply influenced by humanism, Renaissance humanism, is is it which was the design all along. Why do it if if Europe is Christian, why don't people behave like Christians? And they're not. So part of what I think in the Reformed heritage has been, and that's why. Reform heritage often looks at as gospel also includes transformative deeds. Right. Is society needs to get its act together. Society isn't Christian enough. The gospel has been preached for, you know, you know, 1500 years the time of the Reformation, 2000 years now. And, and it's just, you know, how are things really better? Um, you know, a side of me would challenge that by looking, well, we got hospitals. You know, Christian hospitals. Uh, um, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that the gospel has transformed society that my secular friends uh, tend to ignore. Um, with Luther, the real concern is is the purity of grace. Is that being heard? And he's convinced that if that's really heard, then God's going to all work it out. Right. But other Protestant groups are not as convinced of that. They they feel. Which, which goes back at this point almost 900 years with, with the reformation of the church. There was attempt at reforms. You know, the papacy did what it could to reform itself all the way back, you know, to the 12th century. It just wasn't very successful. So that's my hunch is, is part, of, part of what's going on is what constitutes reformation. Right. And for me... I'm really into this purity of is it is the word really being heard as promise or is it being heard as expectation? Is it law? Is it gospel? Right. Others is is we need like like um, the Puritans coming to Massachusetts. Uh, Boston in 1630 needs to be a light set set on a, you know, a hill. It needs to be a beacon. It needs you need a pure Christian society. Otherwise, the true gospel isn't being reflected. Right. And, and, since, and since the king in England at the time isn't willing, and the archbishop are not willing to reform the Church of England to the degree that it needs to be done, that's why we come to Massachusetts. Right. Two, uh, interestingly enough, two co-hosts on this show, 
Charlie uh, Lehman, who is not on today, he's an LCMS pastor. Both he and I are direct descendants of William Bradford. So what oh. you're saying is, it very it resonates very much with us. But one yeah. of the things that 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 Stephen you brought to mind when you said what you did about your soon to be ad adopted nephew is that the the pure gospel, the purity of grace is what God says to Israel in Isaiah chapter 43, verse one. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Mm -hmm. And God, when he claims you as his own, he doesn't let you go. When he, when he stamps you with his identity, with his, uh, with his, um, with, with being called his son, um, mm -hmm. you don't cease to be that. That is now an ontological change that takes place within you. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a matter of just because you have been baptized, now you're going to live perfectly, as we've talked about this whole episode, right? It's a matter of you are now simultaneously justified and a sinner. And sometimes, to use the language of Luther in the bondage of the will, Satan is going to be in the saddle, and other times God will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I love that you quote Isaiah because when I want what I call pure great gospel, I go to the second, I go Isaiah 40 through 55. Absolutely. You know, a dimly burning wick he will not quench. Right. It, it, I, I just, you go all over in, in that part of Isaiah, you just get, it's just pure gospel. Right. Isaiah 53, pure gospel. All yes. over. I want to say Isaiah 54, uh, my dad, it's his favorite, his favorite passage, because it's, uh, it's something like, um, just as the, as the, uh, just as the waters of Noah, when I swore that uh, this waters of Noah would never again covers the earth, I've sworn to never be angry with you again, like, that's one of his, that's one of his, because he, he, his, one of his testimonies, he grew up convinced that God was mad at him, or ready to be, you know, locked and loaded, don't mess up. Right. And he read that and the Holy Spirit just brought that just right up as this is this is God's desire and attitude for us now in yeah. Christ. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So we'd be remiss if we didn't get into some of the other folks. Uh, and I know that we're running a little short on time, but um, do I remember correctly that you were a student of Gerhard Ferdy? Yeah, he, he is my um, ordinator, ordainer. Right. So I, I, uh, I have a love for an affinity for, uh, for Ferdy. I know Drew does as well. I know Ferdy is also kind of a controversial character within Lutheranism because of some of the things that he said. But if you had to just give us one or two points, what would be insightful for us to know about Ferdy? What insights can Ferdy offer us? Well, a lot. I, one of my favorite um, I think Ferdy was was deeply pastoral, but but as a teacher, how to train pastors, mm -hmm. and so how how to get pastors to be good di diagnosticians. Mm -hmm. So I think if if one thing that that a good Lutheran education would have, uh, which I'm not convinced Luther Seminary had at the time, other than people like Ferdy or Nestigan and a few others, um, is, is the question: What captivates you? That gets to the question of, of, of the bound will. Right. And right. all human beings have a bound will. 
So I think what the gospel does is the gospel, you know, reaches out and grabs you and captivates you. Right. Um, I, I, I think, I think his analysis in, in his commentary on the Heidelberg disputation is unparalleled. I think yeah. it's brilliant. I, I think that that very short volume um, is, is um, it, it can't be beat in terms of a, a deeply pastoral understanding of, of, um, of, uh, of, of the theology of the cross. Yeah, that book is just yeah. the best. Yeah. And I, I, I greatly appreciate um, his understanding of God and hiddenness, mm. uh, the absconded God, because I, I think that especially secular people, that, that's in, in their projections of, of, of the self. Everything is ultimately about the self in American mm -hmm. society and erase God in their own way. They're experiencing God in hiddenness um, and and the burden they put upon themselves to create their own meaning in life and, and how it just kills. It kills people. Right. Is, is in a sense, God works through that. If, if they would have any sense to hear the gospel. Um, right that that would then be the revealed god but i think i think it and even for christian believers that often experience god in, in hiddenness i think ferdy is very powerful with that oh absolutely yeah that's that's wonderful um and that's about... not a part of the lutheran tradition mm -hmm. not especially the hidden god is just not that that was um if you look at Lutheran orthodoxy, there's a couple of references to it in Johann Gerhard, but not in any pastoral kind of way, almost historical kind of thing. Well, Martin Luther talked about this. I think pastorally, it's a very powerful thing. And oh, I, 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 many people that I deal with, that's, that's who are not, are not Christians or, or I, 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 that's one of the first thoughts that they're wrestling with God and hiddenness, as we all can, can be, as I could be. Right. Um, you know, I had a, a child that got lost for many years in life, life of drug and alcohol. And I, I felt I was wrestling with God mm -hmm. um, in, through it all. Right. Um, you know, he'd even tell me even before he, he finally fully came clean, he'd say, Dad, my problems is not because of you. You were a good dad, not because of you. My problems are my problems. He knew enough to, to do that. Um, but but for me it was deep wrestling you know it, right. i tried so hard i i said you know i said point blank to him i i i i wanted to do the best i could precisely so you would not ever get in this life right and despite my best efforts and intentions that's what happened yeah, yeah. I, i'm happy he's he himself is a good dad and and, and he has been clean and sober for five years wow mm -hmm. But it, I can tell you as a parent, the anguish of going through something like that is just unbelievable. Right. And the, the unfortunate reality that what immediately comes to mind for us is why, why has God done this to me? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so what I tend to say when folks get really filled with rage about this um, or if not rage, then they're, they're just worried is I'll say something along the lines of we can only dig so far before we strike a mystery. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we are dealing with 
human frailty and dealing with God's redeeming work, we can only speak about what has been revealed to us. And when we arrive at a place where it's not been revealed to us, we need to have the kind of existential humility to be able to say, that's a matter that God has determined to keep in his own hiddenness, that God has determined to keep in his own um, hidden counsels. And it's something that we're not able to fulsomely address. And maybe, just maybe, God will reveal it to us in the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. So in the last, it's very helpful uh, in when you're going through when you're going through stuff like that. It's very annoying when you're in a debate. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. So uh, last couple of things, and then we'll we'll wrap up because I want to honor your time, um, Mark and and, and Stephen. We want to honor your time together. Um, so um, Oswald Byer. In brief, what would you say would be some important insights for us in his work? Well, he's one to have pushed this whole thing about language, about words doing things, mm -hmm. and that the sign for Luther is the reality. And it doesn't mean that it's some kind of magic. I mean, with Luther, the, the blessings are only if, if you appropriate it through faith, but there is a, but it does take the onus off of you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think I think that's that's very good. I appreciate his stance with um with uh dealing with matters of secularism which he does through through uh, uh johann georg hamann so he's an expert on the a man who is very good friends and a critic of kant and the high enlightenment he is a very conservative christian he, he underwent an awakening and a conversion um and and which kant was really offended with i mean what what's happened to you i thought you were one of us mm -hmm. um and 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 Haman just has some brilliant critiques of the Enlightenment um, that that sound kind of postmodern in a way. You know, Kant, don't tell me that your view of Enlightenment is absolute truth. No, this is just kind of a bourgeois um, um, Prussian uh, university professor's way of thinking. This is right. not the truth. What is the truth? It's it's the scriptures provide the narrative through which is the compass by which we understand our lives. So it, 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 it's the book of nature, the book of scripture that, that helps us under, understand the world for Haman. And I, I really appreciate that um, um, in, in uh, Bayer because he takes a stance which is less accommodating. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the John Milbank and radical orthodoxy also has a great appreciation for Haman for, for the very same reasons. And that's one aspect of Milbank I, I greatly appreciate. Sure, sure. Uh, others, yeah, but <laughs> I was but, thinking that, but but I'm glad you said it. I'm glad. Yeah, well, it. not many others, but that I do appreciate in in Mil and I deeply appreciate that in Milbank. Yeah, I do appreciate his much of his critique of of much, but not all of his critique of secularism. Yeah, um, but but he gets that through through through. Uh, 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 the, his, his retrieval of Hallman, I think, is really good. I think it's so beautiful what you're talking about with regard to the, the efficacious word um, that, that Luther really homes in on, and so does Beyer in his interpretation of Luther. And it reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia in The Magician's Nephew, 
where Aslan is speaking into existence Narnia, right? Yeah. And you you yeah. literally hear and see the music coming out of his mouth as creation is made. And that fundamentally changed the way I thought about Jesus, the word speaking into existence creation itself. Yeah. Um, and that is the perfect example of an efficacious word. God declared it and it took place. It happened. Yeah. Um, and so when God declares in Jesus, this is my body in the Eucharist, we trust that Jesus is true to his word and that it is his body and his blood. Yeah. Um, and that is my Lutheran side of Episcopalianism because I do not adhere to a sacramentarian position on the Eucharist, even though technically I'm somewhat confessionally bound to do so yeah uh by the 39 articles but but anyway so uh last fun question if you had to say what are your two favorite books on or by luther oh by luther i'll tell or, or, you or on luther or on luther uh well by luther his commentary on the magnificat i just cannot tell you how much i love the commentary on the on the uh magnificat I, I just love it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. And then I don't know, believe it or not, his treatise on good works. Hmm. Who would think? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. But I, I, his treatise on good works, because again, he, he, his whole point is what makes the good works good is, is, is through Christ. Right. It, it isn't, it isn't for brownie points that we bargain with God. Yeah. All right, now how about not primary works by Luther, book works on Luther? Well, I do like I do like Ferdy's uh, commentary on the, the Heidelberg Disputation. I, I think that's extremely good. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I uh, uh, oh, it might even be my own on beauty. Oh, but I didn't. I yeah. <laughs> uh, I that's a good that's a good question. I've never thought about that. Um, uh, you know, that old classic by Roland Bainton, Here I Stand. I've always, yeah, thank you. I, <laughs> I've always liked, I've always liked Roland Bainton's Here I Stand. Right. That and Walter's, you know, Law and Gospel, which is, respects yeah. the commentary on Luther. Perfect. Perfect. Well, in, in summation of what we've talked about, you wrote an article back in 2018 for 1517, which is a wonderful publishing company, and, and I'm a huge fan. Um, I really, I eat up pretty much anything that they put out. But we've talked so much today about God's grace, his incalculable love that he has for us in and through Christ Jesus. And the, the thing that you wrote this article about was preaching to C&E Christians. Preaching to C&E Christians. Christmas and Easter Christians. And if you'll allow me, I'll quote from it so that it'll refresh your memory. The Christian temptation is to preach a sermon that sentimentalizes childbirth, motherhood, and family and idealizes the birth within the Holy Family, as opposed to a robust message of the word becoming flesh, a hopeful proclamation of Christ crawling deep into every hole we dig, all to raise us to new life. Similarly, the Easter temptation is to reinforce the Gnostic illusion that all souls presently imprisoned bodies eventually will transcend death and finitude 
in a display of pastel eggs, jelly beans, and Easter grass, as opposed to a savior who undergoes a tortured death on a cross for us all, but swallows up the enemy or swallows the enemy up definitively in resurrection life. That in the midst, as you continue in that article about political division and the penultimate matters of life, that is the thing that we hold fast to, that we are a Christmas people in the sense that we celebrate the incarnation of our God. We are an Easter people in the sense that we celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what people need to hear. And that, if I may be so bold, seems to me to be the fundament of what you of what your your life in in um, in scholarship has been about. Would that be a fair thing to say? You're very kind. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's not that I'm a killjoy. I mean, I like Easter eggs. And, sure. Oh, you know, I I I I love I love um, I love all, and I still to this day I might end up preaching on Christmas Eve. I do a lot of supply preaching every Sunday. I'm out doing supply. Um, or on Easter, I, during the pandemic, there was a church that couldn't get a, a pastor. And, and so I, I went, I, I was there. Um, so, um, yeah, I, 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 I hold by, by what you read. I, I think there's desperate souls out there that really need, they, they really need the gospel. Right. And you you never know when 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 God is working through you or others to to that that it, it to to secure them or grasp them. Right. May it be so, and may God's word be effective in them. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here with us. Uh, we are it is such a pleasure. We'd love to have you back on again at some point in the future. We just had a great conversation, and uh, we're very appreciative that you were able to join us tonight. It's a joy to be with you both. Yeah, absolutely.